0: This is the Horse Radio Network. What
1: a beautiful day for horses.
0: Good morning, everybody. I am Glenda Geek from Ocala, Florida.
2: And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for November 11th, episode 1039. Good morning, Horse World. When your
3: start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned. And completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. Let
1: me, let me ride through the wide open country that I love.
0: Well, good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining us on this uh, Tuesday morning. Thank you, Karen, for coming back uh, every single month. We appreciate you being here to talk about endurance. And today is also Veterans Day, so we wanted to acknowledge our veterans out there and thank them for their service and uh, pray for those that did not make it back. Uh, we certainly appreciate everything that they have uh, done for us. I don't care what country you're listening to this in. You have your uh, your own veterans from the wars in your countries as well. Uh, I know Jennifer and I have a lot of family members that have served, and uh, some are still with us and some are not, and I know you do as well.
2: Right. Yes. Thank you, veterans.
0: We appreciate everything that you've done for us. We're gonna have some uh we're gonna have some things for the veterans a little later in the show, some special things that we have pl- planned for today's show. Uh so we'll get to that a little bit later. Well, now we're gonna find out from Jennifer what is
3: coming up on today's show. On today's endurance episode, there are two words that will be heard at any and every gathering of equestrians. Loose horse. So Karen has some advice on, in her monthly <laughs> tip to start the show out, and then following the much-anticipated product of the month with the Distance Depot, we go with go go for a visit with AERC Director at Large Kiana Chapek. I'm sorry, Kiana, if I said your name wrong, and she will be t- chatting right before another AERC hopeful Director at Large Tim Warden. So stay tuned for the fray, folks.
0: Isn't it Diana Chapek?
2: Yes, Diana. And yes, they're both Diana. running for director-at-large. Yes.
0: B- yeah, they're both running. Yep, yep. Uh, well, uh, Karen, it's uh, been, what, a month since we've talked to you last, and I, I don't even think you've ridden in a competition. This might be a first since I know uh, it. started it's,
2: the show. <laughs> we've heard. had um, two rides locally that were both canceled. Um One that was really close to me and the other that was maybe four or five miles away, it was canceled due to rain, which is good. Northern California needs the rain, but, you know, this time of year, there's less or fewer rides to choose from, especially that are close, because I haven't really wanted to travel that far yet with Bo. Um, He's doing great, though. It's been seven months since he had his colic surgery, and he's just been doing spectacular. Although he is getting bored, almost every day I have to fish parts of my um, rain gutters out of the water troughs that he pulls (laughs) down. And he's rearranging my stall mats and, you know, (laughs) stuff like that. I've got to go out into the field to find all my buckets. That he brings out there and leaves, and um, yeah, so he's getting bored. He's telling me he wants to get back to work.
0: <laughs> Nothing like a bored Arab, is there?
2: <laughs> there is. <laughs> he
1: needs his job,
0: <laughs> Mom. I'm bored. I'm tired. I'm
2: getting. i just getting grouchy sitting around all day.
0: I need to move. <laughs>
2: And he's trying to say, hey, you know, it's really less expensive to take me to a ride once in a while than to fix the damage I do. <laughs> <laughs> you that's a tie good him way to, to look, look at it. The... That's,
3: uh, that's making lemonade out of lemons. <laughs> yeah, right.
2: You could always tie them
0: to the bumper of the car when you go to the store. I mean, you could do that. We've seen that in the south here a couple times. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, I'm sure it ends well every time.
2: I know <laughs> silly horse yes I know. well now that oh. must
0: be hard for the people who are trying to get points and miles in for the end of the year if your competitions are canceled
2: it is then they have to travel even further if, you know if they're up there in the standing somewhere and they want to stay there or they just you know possibly drop down or lose their position
0: <clears throat> well and you the, you yeah. this year, uh, because of Bo, I, I assume, are not at the top of the standings like you were last year?
2: I'm not. I've dropped down slowly. I keep, you know, every month I drop a little bit. But I'm still in the regional standings with Bo because he did complete, I think it's 500 miles, including 100 um, earlier in the year. So, And then Chief's done about 250. So, I mean, I've still ridden – like 750 miles this year, which is probably as much or more than most people do. And you, it just feels like you? I haven't done anything <laughs> <Just> because <laughs> I haven't, does. I haven't done anything for the last month or so.
0: So what have you been up to? You've not been out riding Bo and keeping him uh, fit.
2: Well, besides collecting my dogs, my herd of dogs, I've um, we just took the new puppy to a six-week obedience class which started, I think, just a couple weeks before our last show. And we've just finished that last week. And so he's been learning sit, stay, recall, uh, stuff like that. And uh, so that that's kind of good. It's nice. When you've got four dogs, they really need to be somewhat trained and have a little bit of manners, you know, because healers have a lot of energy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. And that's what this one is, a healer, right? The he,
2: they all are. Yes, they they're all, all cattle yeah. dogs. Or one's a mix, but the other three are all full cattle dogs. So yes, they've got a lot of energy. And uh, the nice thing, though, is when they come inside, they kind of they know to mellow out, which is good. And hey, Jennifer, I think we're are... the only
0: ones that uh, we're the only ones on this show of my co-hosts on Horses in the Morning that only have one dog. I think. Uh, oh. I think, I think we're think lagging Emily's behind.
3: Only Emily's oh, only Emily one. only in one. Has, okay. She, ha, she has her, her hot dog, but I wouldn't count on it staying that way for too awfully long. Yeah. yeah. Jamie's
0: uh, looking at going out and getting her third tomorrow, so, uh Oh, you know, good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the She's good not caught up to you yet. I know with Facebook is people are always posting rescue dogs, and that's how I've come to get pretty much all of my dogs is their rescues. So I found this new app recently, which is really kind of cool. Um, it's called Walk for a Dog. And if you download this app onto your smartphone and you activate it every time you walk your dog, um, your favorite animal shelter can get a donation for every mile that you walk. If you, As long as you remember to turn it on every day when you take your dog out for a walk, you can pick whichever shelter you want. Um, there's quite a few. I actually had several in my area to choose from, including the local one for Douglas County, and uh, it's kind of a neat thing. It records um, how far you walk, and then after a certain amount of time, they tally that all up and then donate money to your local shelter, and if you want to get this app, you can go to WolfTracks, dot com, or on Facebook, go to um, Walk for a Dog,
0: Pretty cool. I'd never seen this before. Uh, it's this. Uh, it looks like it's both on iOS and Android, both. Uh, so, you know, e- either way, you could do it. And I, they, I was wondering how they raise the money. Uh, I guess it's through advertising and things like that. To that they actually give to the shelters.
2: Right, right. And it says on their website that they've donated like ten thousand dollars so far. So they are contributing and. You know, it doesn't cost anything to do this. The app is free. And so I thought I'd tell everybody about it because, you know, um, a lot of the listeners I know have dogs, and we walk them regularly or we take them with us when we go for a ride. Now, it Will, you can't really cheat. Like if you think you can turn it on when you, you know, go somewhere in your car, it will um, deactivate if you go faster than 15 miles an hour.
0: Yeah, because most of so, us aren't walking that fast.
2: <laughs> No, okay. <laughs> or even running that fast.
0: <laughs> now, and I assume it keeps track of how far you've gone and all that stuff because it just tracks your footsteps and all that, I assume.
2: Right, and I haven't been using it long enough to know, but it it uh, from what I've read, it will tell you later um, that donations have been made or that you've earned a certain amount for your animal shelter, and they'll notify you so you know that um, that what you're doing is actually – Uh, um, you know, happening, that you're actually making a contribution, which is kind of cool.
4: Are you still there, Glenn?
3: I'm still here.
0: Yes, I'm still here. Uh, uh, I think I faded out for a minute. Um, You
2: did? I heard like a dead space right there just kind of went off air.
0: Well, I'm looking here, and when okay. you go, you search for "walk for a dog," right? Uh, when you go to your app store, right? Okay. Got or it.
2: from the WoofTracks.com website, uh, they've got links there that'll take you right to their apps, and you can download them.
0: Very good. Sounds like well, that's neat. I had never thought, never saw that before. I'm gonna have to download it. Yeah. Great idea.
2: It's kind of. Kind of new. Jennifer. Yeah.
0: Jennifer post a link to that uh, to their website as well on our Facebook page. Yep. Horses in the Morning. Well, now we have your endurance tip of the month. And I'll tell you what, this is something that uh, I know that all of us that have been to <laughs> horse shows have encountered at one time or another. Almost everyone, actually.
2: Right. I think it, nobody's immune, whether you're an endurance rider or whatever activity you do with horses. At some point, someone's horse is going to get loose, whether it's in camp or on the trail. Um, And so I was going to talk a little bit about some safety rules and what to do, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. If you do encounter a loose horse, which, um, you know, eventually if you ride long enough and do enough stuff, you're going to experience firsthand.
0: (laughs) And usually the loose horse is coming the other direction straight at you on the narrow one horse trail right
2: yes exactly or else it's the middle of the night <laughs> oh. <laughs>
0: and,
2: and it's coming at you on the
0: one horse trail
2: <laughs> yes yes and so uh it's never finally sounds
0: like a large bear coming to the trail too at that point dark out oh can't my gosh see anything
2: <laughs> oh there's nothing nothing like the sound of hoofbeats galloping past you when you're sound asleep at, you know, 4.30 in the morning or whatever in a ride camp. And and, uh, so, okay, well, let's start with my important rule number one, and that is to always keep control of your own horse. And I know that sounds simple, but it's really not. You, You know, one time I had a rider that got mad at me. She had lost Her horse got away from her and came galloping back down the trail. This was at the start of a ride. And I was on chief, and he was pretty darn, you know, amped up and wired already. And here comes this loose horse running for us. And it was all I could do to control him and not let him get away from me. And this rider was mad because I wasn't able to grab her horse. Um, But I had my hands full controlling mine. And had I let go of even one rein, I'm quite certain that we would have had, instead of one horse loose, we would have had two, which would have increased the likelihood of them also running over even more riders that might have lost their horse. And then next thing you know, we would have had a whole group of horses out running down the highway. So always um, make sure you have control of your own horse before you try to do something like Catch another loose horse because you don't want to contribute to the cause and have one one running loose. Right. Okay. Number rule number two is get out of the way. So (laughs) if the horse is coming at you, you know you, you know you move out of the way. uh, Don't get mowed over. You know, do what you can to get out of the way. Um, You you may or may not have time to dismount depending if you're already mounted or not. So just um, try to find a safe spot, you know, duck behind a tree or a, or whatever there might be, a big bush or a tree or a car or something, and get out of the way so that you don't get mowed over. Because the loose get horse out of the is
0: way, never just meandering along, is it? The loose horse is never just wandering, you know, just walking along, looking at everything. That's never been our experience with loose horses. <laughs>
2: Like those might be the ones that you run across in the middle of the night they manage to get loose or untied and they just go roaming around looking for something to eat sometimes yeah. you might encounter that but you know, more often than not especially if you're on the trail that's early in the morning at a ride that's when a rider may have gotten dumped or maybe they were trying to get on and didn't quite manage all the way and then next thing you know here comes the horse usually they'll run back towards camp, so um, yeah, the main thing is, like I said, don't contribute by getting your horse in the group, getting loose as well, get out of their way, then the next rule is if you can't get out of the way, turn your horse, Um, I usually will turn my horse, so the rear end of my horse is facing the one that's coming towards us, because you want to keep as much surface area Um, away or from facing the oncoming horse. So that reduces um, the amount of area that might get run into or hit by the horse or horses that are running your way. And then use the horse to kind of give you a little bit of protection from the ones that are loose so that if your horse does happen to get run into, hopefully it'll just get bumped in the rear end and it won't be you that's getting mowed over because um, your horse is probably not likely to get run over or as injured as you would be if it was you that was getting hit by the loose horses. Then rule number four is don't give chase. So if the horse does zip by you, whichever way you're going, either they ran from behind and passed you or they went towards, came towards you and kept going, don't turn around and chase a loose horse or loose horses because often what that will do is it further stimulates the horse that's loose and they keep running or they run even faster. Sometimes it's better to just stop and wait for a couple of seconds and see what the loose horse is going to do. Sometimes they will stop on their own or they will stop and turn around and come back because they kind of, you know, they're herd animals. So they want to be with right. the group if there's other horses. Other times they don't, they're just going to keep going no matter what. And I've seen several instances where people turned around to try to chase them and then, next thing, um the people that were trying to help by chasing down the loose horse or loose horses ended up with their own horses loose because they took off and got out of control so and rule number five, if you're in camp and you hear horses running loose, don't go running outside to see what's going on. You know, kind of take a peek out, look around, make sure it's safe before you step outside. Because, you know, just a lot of times you'll hear the footsteps, but you really don't know where they are. And they can come around a corner or a turn really fast before you have time to even think or react. So always think safety. Don't just run outside in in a flash and get yourself mowed over because that has happened to people. It almost happened to my dad once. He was at a ride and he heard loose horses. He stepped outside of his motor home and... um, Luckily, he was able to jump back up on the step as like a whole herd of horses that were loose went running by him and darn near got him. He was really lucky he didn't get (laughs) ran over. So, yeah, you've got to really, you know, just think safety. Every situation is different. You know, the worst ones we've seen,
0: Karen, the worst ones we've seen have been at uh, driving events when the horse gets loose with the carriage still attached. That's yes. the worst ones we've seen. And actually, the last time, wasn't it a pair, Jennifer? Wasn't it a pair that got loose, and it they were still attached been, to yeah. the carriage? And what happens yeah. is the carriage just goes bouncing off of cars and trailers and campers and other you horses. Know, and
3: I have uh, an idea. Yeah, they have they have these special little bolts that they make for rocket applications where there's a little timer and a little tiny explosive in there so that like the, the empty fuel tanks can break away from the Ooh. rocket. They need to make little things that will allow the with traces. a remote control? With a remote control <laughs> a on remote it, and control. it will allow the traces oh, to come undone.
0: <laughs> That's good, except the little explosives going to send them off even faster.
3: <laughs> and then we need a I second I'm set. I'm faster. working on this. Yeah. We need a second set that will allow the blinders to go off, too, so the horse can actually see where he's running. (laughs)
0: I'll tell you, we've seen some people try and jump in front of him, and that doesn't turn out well. We actually saw one guy make a... And he succeeded in this. He made a dive for the reins as the horses are going by at about a hundred miles an hour and actually got a hold of the range and managed to get the horses stop, but that's also dangerous. I don't know what the proper thing to do. Everything you said applies with carriage attached too, only more so. <laughs> get yes. out of the way is like, the big one. Get out
2: of the way, right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And when a horse is if it's dragging something, it's even worse. because often if they are dragging stuff, um, they're knocking even more stuff down as they go, you know, especially right. if they're in camp. Right. Last year at a ride, a pony, there was a little pony at, a, at this ride, and a gal had, had her saddle out sitting on the saddle stand to clean it, and the put or the pony literally ran through the saddle rack, getting it wrapped, you know, put its head through the saddle rack. And it, now it was running around camp carrying the saddle. With, with
0: the saddle. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and and that wasn't the worst part. The worst part is that this was scaring the living daylights out of all of the horses in camp. Some alien <laughs> running around. And um, yeah, talk about a big panic. Talk about drama. Oh, my gosh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's funny.
0: Um, so you know, I, I think they're all. That's all great advice. By the way, you know everything you've said there. You, you obviously have learned from experience, so <laughs> it's great advice.
2: Right, right, right. So just yeah. everybody, be safe. you you know, when that happens, uh, don't try to be a hero. Keep your, you know, focus first on on your own horse. Don't contribute to the problem if you can help it, and you know, stay safe. Get out of the way if you can. And um, hopefully um, you won't see anything like this happen anytime soon and there won't be any kind of injuries or damage. And most of the time there's not. It's amazing the things that can happen at endurance rides and everybody comes out okay. It's, sometimes it's uh, <laughs> it, it makes you wonder, how are we that lucky with the, when we get this many horses together that get that excited and nobody gets hurt? It's, uh um, we, we definitely have our guardian angels looking out for us sometimes.
0: Yeah, we've had the stories on the, on this show with the, with the people almost getting hit by lightning and just all different kinds of stuff <laughs> on endurance rides. Well, we are going to next up. We do every month is our product of the month, and we're going to be talking with Kristen from Distance Depot, and I guess we're talking this week about leg wraps, right?
2: We are, yes, the stuff you can use on your horse's legs after you ride.
0: All right, let's talk to Kristen from Distance Depot. Oh,
2: welcome, Kristen. Today we're going to be talking about products that we can use on our horse's legs after we're done riding. Hi, Karen and Glenn. Thanks for having me again. Um, it's great to be here. Well, I've got your page open, your website, thedistancedepot.com, and I see you've got quite a large selection of different products. Let's start with your ice boots. Tell us about okay. those. All
4: right. Well, we actually manufacture this particular ice boot. Um, it was initially an easy care product uh, made by the boot people, but um, we've taken it over, and these are fabulous ice boots. They stay very cold in a cooler. So if you're going to a ride that might be far away, you can keep them quite cold for ride day. They have 24 little individual ice packets that will freeze solid if you get them cold enough, um, and then that way you're able to do all four legs um, and cool them, and they they have a great length to them as well, so that, meaning they, they will cool from the knee all the way down to the coronary band, so you can do front and back legs with the same pair. Um, we have a lot of veterinarians that actually use them in their practice. They come in, oh, I think five colors. Um, which is good if everybody's uh, trying to match their color. Um, uh, they're just a fabulous ice boot.
2: I've been using some for years, and they are great. They stay cold, like you said, long enough. You can ice your front legs and then put take them off and put them on the hinds, and they're still cold enough to ice you know, all four legs with just two boots.
4: Exactly. They have four Velcro straps, which keep them secure, too, um, so they, they really stay in place. It's a pretty nice boot. We have a new product, too, that I was going to mention. It's um, by Down, and it's um, basically the, the cooling technology is in, in the product. It's uh, just in the textile uh, material, if you will. And so it's you kind of wet it and wave it, and it works off of, off of uh, evaporation. I don't believe they stay quite as cold as ours, but um, for a quick little wrap, if you need to take it with you somewhere, um, it's pretty easy to, to take along.
2: And I see you have the EquiFlex sleeve. Tell us about those.
4: Okay, well the EquiFlex sleeve has been a very popular product. It's a compression sleeve, so it's really um, in a lot of cases can take the it can replace a standing wrap, if you will. Um, You slide it over the hoof. Um, It looks like a sock on your horse's leg, and uh, you just slide it over the hoof, and it can go on. You can. Actually, put it on top of the um, leg once you you know if you use some liniment um, and or poultice. If you use some Saran wrap, it can actually go over your poultice as well. But um, it prevents stocking up and they're an- antimicrobial, so you can throw them right in the washer machine and and um, they're breathable, heat dissipating, and quick drying. So pretty popular um, uh, wrap instead of having to use polo wraps or or regular standing bandage.
2: Right, and they work great in combination with the ice boots. I can put these on my horse's legs and then put the ice boots on over. Then when I take the ice boots off, I'm done. I don't have to do anything else, which really simplifies things.
4: That's great to know. They do come in colors also. We stock blue, pink, purple, and black. Um, They're pretty easy to measure for. We have measuring instructions right on our site as well.
2: Okay, now tell us a little bit about the poultices and those kinds of items that you have.
4: All right. We do have a couple of, um, we stock uh, the Soar No More products. We find that that's a great line. They also, um, it's pretty um, exciting for the endurance world. They have a new line out called the Performance Ultra line, and it's made without the labelia, So it will not test if you're doing any competitions or FEI um, type competitions. Uh, it will not test as far as AERC goes either. So it's pretty um pretty great to, you can pull this you know throughout a ride um or if you were going to ride the next day you'd be safe. Um we also have the Sore No More gel lotion and the track side liniment and those are of course liniments for your legs and, and throughout the body. Uh you could use the trackside liniment in a body brace if you wanted to. So and I have the um, Bickmores uh poultice as well. I've used Bickmore products for years and years.
2: It's mm-hmm.
4: a great poultice too,
2: and I see you have a full range of leg wraps and quilts and all that for people that um, are into the more traditional means of or ways of wanting That's to wrap nice. their legs.
4: Yes, we offer that as well.
2: Okay, have you got any specials coming up for Christmas?
4: We sure do. It's um, we're we're telling everybody, hang on to your helmets. This is going to be big. So we're pretty excited. I can't let the cat out of the bag yet, but we have some pretty great deals that are going to start. I'm hoping um, we'll get the information out to everyone on Facebook, on our Facebook pages, and on our home pages of both websites, Distance Depot, and our our other sister store, which is Horse Lovers Outlet. But yeah, we hope to get that information out. We're going to go through from Black Friday um, through December 22nd with some pretty good specials. So oh,
2: great, hmm. <laughs> great, terrific. Well. Thank you for joining us, um, and tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you.
4: Absolutely. You can visit us online um, at uh, com, or you can surely give us a call toll-free, 866-863-2349, and we'll be happy to help you.
2: Okay, now I think we're ready to do uh, the interview with our first guest this morning, Uh, It's Diana Chapek. She's been riding endurance since 1985, or actually sooner than that. That's just um, how early the records go back on the online results for A or C. She's got 8,390 miles. Her horse, Faraf, received the Partners Award along with Diana in 1993. She's previously served on the board of directors and is currently running for one of the director-at-large positions in the current election. She's a hoof trimmer and lives in Northern California, which is the West region of the Oh, Welcome to the show, Diana. Uh, it's good to have you. How are you doing today?
4: Fine, thank you.
2: So, Tell us how you got started in endurance writing.
4: You know, actually, when I was probably 12 or 13, I read an article in Western Horseman on Tevis and decided I was doing it someday. And... Gosh, back in probably 1973 or 1974, somebody told me about a ride that was local, and I went to my first endurance ride.
0: I think yeah. Tevis probably has been the thing that we've heard the most from people that have spurred them to try endurance, isn't it? That that ultimate mm-hmm. goal of doing Tevis has really been good for the sport here in the United States.
2: I agree. Yeah, that's what got me started too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so tell it I, I'm I kinda went and looked up your record to you know, because I'm not all that familiar um with you personally, but I know right. I've ridden with you over the years here and there. And and I saw you're mostly kind of a middle to the back of the pack rider. Um tell us a, a little bit about the kind of writer you are.
4: Yeah, you know, I am a mid to back of the pack rider. Okay, what's that
2: mean, by the way?
4: Um, I'm gonna be out there a really long time. I'm not gonna be in those horses that are up winning. I get I get more enjoyment from my dollar because I get to see all the scenery instead of flying by. Okay, so that
0: you know, that when she first said that, that almost sounded like an insult, but it it's not an insult.
2: I don't think it is.
1: Okay. All right.
2: Not no, we all. need all kinds of riders. You know, if yes. if there weren't slower riders then the fast ones wouldn't have anybody to beat. That's right. <laughs>
0: Okay, let's put it that way. (laughs) That made it all better. Besides,
4: you know, even if you finish last, you beat all the people that didn't start. Well, that's true.
2: Yeah, you know, that is true. I love you, endurance people. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and I and I also know that back in 1993, you were awarded the Partners Award with your horse Rath. How do you pronounce that? Okay, tell us a Tell us a little bit about that horse. You know, he he
4: is today. He is still to this day. He is still the greatest horse I've ever ridden. He was on his way to auction in Southern California, and I just had to have him. And I actually bought him for Tevis, and Aww. then he was gonna. I was gonna actually after we did Tevis, I wanted him to be a three-day eventer, and Tevis was his thousandth mile ride. And I never did get him into jumping. I just kept riding endurance Mm
2: -hmm. because he loved it. Have you got any good or fun stories about him, any rides that you did that were more memorable than others? You know,
4: probably not any one particular ride, but that horse saved me so many times. um, A friend still laughs about our yellow slicker story because we were going up a hill when he fell and slid down the hill, and I was tangled up in a rain slicker, and uh-huh. he he kept laying down. He would slide, and then I would slide and crash into him, and he never tried to get up until I got out from under his legs.
2: Aww. You
4: know, and, yeah, he was just that good unless he was throwing a temper tantrum and then throwing <laughs> himself on the ground when I was on him. Did he because do I, that? <laughs> he did. At, at the Mustang Classic one year, he was getting older, and I was trying to slow him down, and he was mad because his friends were up front. They were going faster that day, and we scared some people half to death. When he jumped up in the air and landed on his side, I'd kicked my feet out of the stirrups, he jumped right back up, and we just
2: kept going down the trail
4: <laughs> with the people yeah. wanting to know if I was okay.
2: He sounds like he had quite the personality.
4: <laughs> he did.
2: Too much. Wow. Okay, and you're running for the board right now for director at large. Why are you, why? Tell us why. You know, I love this. Board. Well, before
0: you go on with that, explain what you're, you know, explain to the director at large and what you're talking about here.
4: Um, the okay. American Endurance Ride Conference has a board of directors. Okay. And each region has two directors. And then there are directors that are elected at large, not to represent so much an individual re- region, but as to represent the entire sport for everybody.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
4: And that's that's what I'm running for.
0: And then th- those are voting directors. On. Yes. Okay. Got yes. It. How many are there?
4: Gosh, is it eight directors at large, I believe, and what do we have, nine regions, so 18?
2: Yeah, 26 all together. Yeah,
4: 26 all together.
0: Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> that's hard to get a consensus on anything with 26 people. I've been in that situation before.
4: <laughs> <laughs> you know, the board, most of the time the board works pretty well together, and they do come to consensuses.
0: Do they? Wow, good for And that. at least
4: that, <laughs> because, we're, and because we're spread all over the whole country at least you can usually have enough present for a quorum.
0: Right, right. So,
2: Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And you've been on the board before, haven't you? I have. Okay, so so why do you want to go back?
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know. Yeah, you got out once. Yeah.
4: Glutton for punishment. Uh, Yes. (laughs) You know, I really enjoyed it. For me, it's giving back to the sport and the organization that I've loved for so long. Um, we need people on the board that are passionate about the sport and the organization, because without one or the other, we'd have neither. And I have that passion; otherwise, I wouldn't, you know, try to do it again.
0: Okay, so what we just got out of uh, we just got out of, out of voting season here in election time. Uh, but So I'll ask you a question that they would have asked one of the candidates. What are the one or two things that you see that really needs addressed over the next year for the AERC?
4: We need a, a good membership base. And I know that we have a problem maintaining and, and retaining new members. And I think we need to outreach to the average horse rider because most people think, that we're such an elitist sport that their average horse can't do it. And I I think we do a disservice to everybody in not encouraging them that, yes, maybe their horse can do it. And so for me, that's that's a real biggie. If we don't have a membership, we don't even have the income coming in to keep financing the organization. hmm
0: we were just talking about that, actually. Karen and I were talking about that before we started the show today. Uh, yeah. You know, but that was, and that's something that all, you know, we deal, here at the Horse Radio Network, we have many associations that we deal with, and they're all in the same boat right now. Yeah. One of the biggest problems we all have is kids. Now, I think you guys yeah. have probably have a better, uh, you know, junior program than most, because kids, you know, I think it, it's just kind of cool. You you have the cool factor. Um so, you know, I I don't know if it's it's probably still a big challenge though.
4: Sure, because if the kids if those juniors' parents aren't on board, we we don't have those juniors. That's true. You know, right. because they've got to have parents that back them, you know, in their horses and their passion for horses.
0: And it requires so, riding a lot whereas you can get away with less probably with some of the other disciplines.
4: Sure. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. What's mm-hmm. time? And,
4: the other change?
2: disciplines aren't as fun. <laughs> I know they're not. <laughs> Vote for Diana. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I know. Tell us about some of the changes you've seen since you've been writing and involved in the sport for so long. What has changed in the last you know twenty or thirty years since you started?
4: I think almost. Everything has changed. I mean, you know, I rode in jeans and still have scars on the back of my knees, you know, and now we ride in britches and tights. Never heard of a glow bar, you know, and, um, yeah, did my first hundred in the dark with a flashlight that didn't work. You know, there were no glow bars kind of a Mm -hmm. thing and no electrolytes. Never heard of electrolytes. You just rode, and if your horse drank, great. If it didn't, well, oh, well. And we've come so far in our medical research for our horse's welfare. And I think that's probably the best thing that's come out of endurance. Mm
1: -hmm.
4: You know, because the things that we've researched and improved for our horses has bled over into other disciplines. I think in a lot of things... With the welfare of the horse, we've been at the forefront, and I think that's great.
2: Definitely. I think that's been so good. And Where do you see A or C going, you know, the whole sport in the next, say, 10 or 20 years? I'd like to
4: say I hope it gets as tough as it used to be. I, I think our sport is getting a little bit soft with the times. <laughs> And that's just because there isn't the money and the time. You know, everybody's working. You know, some people have to have two jobs to support their horse. So everybody wants things a little easier. Um, And I think our sport keeps making things easier for everybody, Mm -hmm. which, which I think is a shame. I mean, I understand why it happens and it's going to happen. But for me, you know, starting, you know, Back in the seventies, I think it's a real shame that some of it has gotten what I would call soft and easier.
2: And so, have you been doing many rides lately?
4: No, I actually I've only done two fifties and a handful of limited distances in
2: the last ten years. Okay, and now you're. I understand you're a trimmer too. You're trimming horses' feet.
4: I am a barefoot certified barefoot trimmer with Pacific Coast or Pacific Coast Care Practitioners. So, okay. yeah, and I love it.
2: And, and so you're keeping your horse horses barefoot? Yes. Great.
4: Barefoot and booted. Good. So, well,
2: yeah. What are you seeing in the horse's feet? You're in Northern California. What I'm, kind of – go ahead, sorry.
4: I was going to say, yes, Northern California, where we have rock-hard feet in the summer, and you can't even get your nippers through the feet.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs>
4: But you know, it's a lot of people are starting to go barefoot and ride barefoot, you know? And some of these horses that have really crummy feet when they come out of shoes, now some of them just have beautiful feet. So it's it's been really fun.
2: Mhm. How long does it usually take when you've seen someone take their horse out of shoes to, to transform their feet into, you know, being really good looking and um functional?
4: Some of the worst ones that I've taken out of shoes have actually taken a year or longer.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, some of the ones that aren't too bad, they actually you can see within a week or two you can already see the hoofs starting to relax
2: coming mm-hmm. out of shoes. Do you have any any advice for somebody that's that wants to take their horse barefoot?
4: Be really patient and realize that some horses actually can't go barefoot and, mm-hmm. know, and know when to do what's the best for your horse, not just because everybody else is telling you something to do. Do
2: what's right. best for your horse. And what about feeding and nutrition and stuff?
4: I, For my own and for my clients, I pretty much recommend low sugar. I test all my hay. I try to stay away from all the grains. Um, I use a lot of elk grove grass pellets, a um, little bit of beet pulp, not a whole lot. My horses tend to be too chubby, you know, <laughs> even, though try, even though I try. But, um, yeah, you know, keep your feed program simple. They just don't need old starch, carbohydrates, sugars that everybody wants to feed.
1: Mm -hmm.
4: and feed for what each individual horse needs. I think too many people try to feed their six horses all the same diet, and you can't.
2: Right, right. You know. And in the winter, what kind of issues do you run across with the moisture, and um, do you have mud where you're at? We have some
4: of the red clay mud Uh so that some of our trails in the winter – can be a little dangerous riding but um i don't really with the hooves so much maybe a little more thrush but not too much you know i think our summers are harder on the feet than our winters are okay we're very rocky over here too
2: Oh, okay. So,
4: so if, in the winter, you know, the, the hooves don't quite take the impact. I will even ride totally barefoot in the winter in our mud, where mm-hmm. I can't ride totally barefoot in our summers.
2: And if you get a horse that has thrush, how, what would you recommend for treating?
4: I, what I tell all of my clients is you can try one thrush medicine, and if it doesn't work, go to the next. Because it's <laughs> different fungus, different bacteria. Each medicine doesn't work for each one. Okay. And I actually do rotate on my own here when I have my own horses with it because of that. And I personally, I love copper tox. I know people that, you know, cringe because it's the chemicals in it.
2: It works the best for me. Oh good. Yeah. Good. Well, we've appreciated having you on to talk to us today. Good luck with the election, and I hope you you. get a lot of votes.
4: Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been kind of fun.
2: Yeah, good luck, Diana.
4: (laughs) Thanks, Glenn.
0: All right. Talk to you soon.
4: You guys have a good day.
0: You know, it's funny. uh, There's a couple things that uh, I thought about during that interview. One was she definitely had the quote of the day, uh, even if you finish last, you still beat everyone who didn't start. We're going to keep that one for future years. That's the quote of the day for sure. And then also at the end there, uh, when she said uh, when she said, you uh, was kind of fun, like she was surprised. I'm always amazed at how many people get nervous to-, to talk to us, you know, and then they're always surprised that it's kind of fun. It's like, well, you're just talking to us. Nobody else is listening.
2: Uh-huh. Nope. <laughs>
0: It was always surprising. But anyway, what a great guest, and uh, we wish her luck in her election coming up there. We'll talk more about actually the AERC a little later in the show as we have another guest who is running, and uh, I'm going to ask him some of the same questions. But first, we have to talk horse boots. There's a certain kind of horse boot that a lot of endurance riders use, you know, especially if they keep their horses barefoot, what we were just talking about there, on these rocky terrains. And in some situations, you need to have boots on. And Karen has the boots that work for her the best. She's going to tell us about them right now.
2: I do. And those are Renegade hoof boots. They are made in the United States, and they have a strap-on version and a glue-on version. Um, which um, both can work in different situations depending on what your needs are. I prefer the strap-on version because they're so easy to put on and take off. Um, one of the best things about them, um, besides that they work really well for my horses, is they come in a lot of different colors. They have orange, dragon fire red, yellow gold, Arizona copper, burgundy blitz, jade, Chocolate, which is brown and black night. So there, um, there's a color for everybody. So you can mix and match with your tack. Um, they're um, like I said, made in the United States. They have a couple of different models now. They have the regular Renegade boot and the Viper boot. If you're interested in the Vipers, they're a more a little bit more of an updated version um, with a few enhancements over the original boots. I use both depending on the horse's hoof. Uh, if you're having trouble deciding, uh, contact the company. They have a Facebook page. You can look them up. Just type in Renegade Hoof Boots or go to their website, renegadehoofboots.com. You can get more information there. You can give them a call or send them an email, and they'll be happy to help you figure out um, what size you need to get or which model will work best for your horse, depending on your horse's hoof um, shape and, and size. And uh, like I said, they're a great product. I've used them for several thousand miles of rides now.
0: I was looking at the picture you sent of uh, Tim, who's our guest later in the show. You sent us a picture for our show notes. And in the picture, I believe he is wearing the Renegade glue-on boots is what he it is. looks
1: like. yes. Yeah.
0: So, uh, yeah, so he uses them as well. And his look orange as well. So. <laughs> Uh, Right. Yeah,
2: that's the nice thing with using the colors, because it's very easy to just look down real quick and see that they're there.
0: Oh, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, you're flying along, and all of a sudden, yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. Well, thank you to Renegade for their continued support of the endurance episode here on Horses in the Morning. Well, it is Veterans Day, and instead of a song, I thought I had something that uh, I came across last year, and I, I believe we played it on the show then that I thought was very heartfelt. It is, this is from 30 years ago now. It's Ronald Reagan doing a Veterans Day uh, talk at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And it was very poignant. I, I thought it was very good. No matter what your politics are, it doesn't matter, because uh, uh, what he says applies to all of us. And I thought I'd share that with you. And then later on in the show, we're actually going to finish the show out with our Armed Forces Medley that we play every year on Veterans Day. So we'll be back in a few minutes. We have more guests coming up.
5: A few moments ago, I placed a wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier. And as I stepped back and stood during the moment of silence that followed, I said a small prayer. And it occurred to me that each of my predecessors has had a similar moment and I wondered if our prayers weren't very much the same, if not identical. We celebrate Veterans Day on the anniversary of the armistice that ended World War I, the armistice that began on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. And I wonder, in fact, if all Americans' prayers aren't the same as those I mentioned a moment ago. For all we can ever do for our heroes is remember them, and remember what they did, and memories are transmitted through words. We see these soldiers in our mind as old and wise. We see them as something like the founding fathers, grave and gray-haired. But most of them were boys when they died, and they gave up two lives, the one they were living and the one they would have lived. When they died, they gave up their chance to be husbands and fathers and grandfathers. They gave up their chance to be revered old men. They gave up everything for our country, for us. And all we can do is remember. There's always someone who is remembering for us. No matter what time of year it is or what time of day, There are always people who come to this cemetery, leave a flag or a flower or a little rock on a headstone. And they stop and bow their heads and communicate what they wished to communicate. I think sometimes of General Matthew Ridgway, who the night before D-Day tossed sleepless on his cot and talked to the Lord and listened for the promise that God made to Joshua. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. We are surrounded today by the dead of our wars. We owe them a debt we can never repay. All we can do is remember them and what they did and why they had to be brave for us. All we can do is try to see that other young men never have to join them. Today as never before, we must pledge to remember the things that will continue the peace. Today, as never before, we must pray for God's help in broadening and deepening the peace we enjoy. Let us pray for freedom and justice and a more stable world. And let us make a compact today with the dead. A promise in the words for which General Ridgway listened, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee.
0: Listening to Horses in the Morning, I am Glenn Geek here with Karen Chatton today on this Endurance Day. Coach Jen is in the producer chair, and we thank you for being here with us. Uh, I hope you're on your second cup of coffee by now, and we will be back uh, as we are every day. We're here every day, 9 a.m. Eastern during the week, and we'll be back with Jamie tomorrow and uh, for our Wednesday episode here. Well, now uh, we had an opportunity to speak. We switched from the West Coast to the East Coast with our interviews this week, don't we?
2: We sure did. I've got a guest, had a guest from each end of the country. (laughs) And tell us about Tim. Tim Warden, he's been riding since 2002. He's got 1,495 endurance miles and 300 LD miles. He's a farrier and lives in North Carolina, which is the southeast region of AARC, and he's also riding for one of the director-at-large positions. Good morning, Tim. Welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing great. Tell us how you got started in endurance riding. I uh, got into endurance riding uh, mainly because of my wife.
6: She grew up doing uh, endurance, or actually mostly competitive trail, in the uh, Upper Peninsula uh in around Michigan. We're both uh former Michiganders. And uh we moved south in uh two thousand and uh, right after we got married. So we got married and you know, just started, decided to start our lives in North Carolina after she finished her masters degree at Michigan State and and uh I was bored being a computer tech so we came south and and uh about a year later we picked up our first couple of Arabians and uh Year after that, which would be two thousand two, we entered our first limited distance ride.
2: What do you like about endurance riding?
6: I just I like the freedom of it. Just uh, um, you have a start time, you ride your horse how you want to um, within you know within the safety guidelines. You take care of your horse, and um, as long as you meet the time constraints and and everything. And uh, taking care of your horse, you can get across the finish line. And that just appealed to me more than just uh, being in the show ring.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
6: uh, you know, I just, I love being out on the trail and we train in kind of the mountains and foothills here in South or North Carolina. Um, and just something special about being out in the woods with your horses.
2: What kind of rider are you? Do you go fast, slow, mid pack?
6: Um, I do have a little bit of competitive streak in me, but uh, typically I'm, I'm I don't allow myself to get competitive much anymore. Um, I mostly just ride with my wife, and we just we're kind of a mid to backpacker. Um, I think my ride times lately have been in the eight and a half to nine hour range for a fifty miler. So we just kind of mm-hmm. go along and and enjoy the ride in do our best to get our partner, equine partners, to the finish.
2: Do you ride together with your wife? Yes.
6: Yeah. Yep. We oh, ride good. and train together. So, yep. We. Um, she, like I said, she got me into it, and and uh, we don't have children. These are our children.
1: And, <laughs>
6: this is our life. This is our life and our passion.
1: So, who
0: who gets in trouble for telling the other they're doing it wrong?
6: <laughs> um, you can probably guess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can.
6: Just
0: been there. <laughs>
2: Okay. And we have an upcoming an election going on right now with the AARC, and you're one of the candidates for director-at-large. Why mm-hmm. did you choose to run for director?
6: Um, I was actually kind of approached by some people here in the southeast, and I've kind of had it in my mind, some crazy thought in my mind, that you know, it would be kind of neat to, to be a representative of our of organization, be part of how to the workings of it is and and uh, and it wasn't until I was approached saying you know would you have an interest in in putting your name on the ballot and and essentially kind of give more representation a little bit to the southeast and the east coast in particular we the you know, the, the board is comprised of a lot of people on the west coast and and we didn't have any broader representation as far as mm-hmm. uh, over or in the east especially the southeast. Where we have, we're either maybe second in the number of um, members in the organization, I think. And
2: right. Yeah, the have, southeast is a, a big region.
6: Yeah, we're a very fast-growing region, and um, I think I, I someone had told me that we had the, the most number of starts as well in a year. So um, I just thought it was. You know, we needed a little bit more rep- representation, and I was willing to, you know, put my name on the line and and give it a shot.
0: Well, I got to ask you the same question I asked Diana earlier. We uh, were interviewing one of the others running, and uh, you know, I asked her. I said, "What do you think is the one or two important issues over the next year uh, facing the association?"
6: Uh, definitely membership. Not only gaining membership but retaining membership um and and she said she said
0: exactly the same thing by the way what what, (laughs) what what are the problems okay let's let's uh let we talked with her a little bit about gaining membership let's take uh what you said about retaining membership where are the problems in retention
6: um i think some of it it can stem to economics on both ends um You know, these these are, the horse industry is essentially a hobby sport, and you really have to have a passion for it to keep going in it. So to put that extra money out there to become part, you know, to stay part or become part of an organization, um, it's it's just another expense. And so you got to look ahead, okay, am I going to do enough rides this next year to retain it, or, you know, how much do I feel... This organization is important to me, even though I don't ride anymore, to be part of it. Um, and how do we keep those members that, you know, maybe they, they're they in between horses or something's happened where they can't attend rides, how do we keep their membership and and keep them involved with the sport, I think, is one way to look at it, and I don't know exactly the answer to it yet. Um, but
0: well, You know, to, to follow up on that, and I'll ask you both this question, and this are, revolves around acquisition and retention is one of the things in doing this show with Karen, and I'm a driver, so, I, you know, I, I don't have, you know, don't, I'm not an endurance rider, but one of the things looking from the outside in and doing all the shows we've done and interviewing all the people we've done, Karen, is another big factor in addition to fin- financial, which we've talked about before, is time. You know, even if you're a dressage rider or even an inventor, or anything else really you know a western rider doing uh, obstacle classes your your training involves riding an hour to an hour and a half maybe 2 hours at the outside a day with it, you know training one horse you're in a little bit different situation and your competition is 4 minutes okay Um, so you go on the weekend and yeah, you might have to be there all day, but you're riding for four minutes, you know, or or six minutes or eight minutes. Mm -hmm. And that's the extent of your competition for the entire day. Your time is so much of a big deal with you guys. People have to be able to commit a lot of time.
1: Yeah.
6: Yeah, that's true. And we, and my wife and I, we don't have the ability to ride out from where our horses are. So we have to trailer out at least. Forty-five minutes oh. to a good oh, training place to be able to ride. Yeah,
0: that's hard too. You're dedicated. Yeah, because it's not just yeah. the forty-five minutes; it's mm-hmm. the hour before and the hour after, and the trailer. You know, it's just it's all of that. Yeah, yeah. Because we always said, if you trailer somewhere for a half an hour, it's an hour and a half chore. Uh, <laughs> right. I mean, so you do everything that's needed. It's an hour and a half chore to trailer half an hour. Yeah. Do you think that's a big factor in it, Karen?
2: I do, and I'm really lucky where I am. I can just ride from my house. That helps quite a bit. But you know, I have several friends that have to trailer to ride, and you know, they're really dedicated. It takes you know a little bit of a commitment and you know focusing and making the time and you know just making it happen. It's um, but it's worth it, right, Tim? I mean, you're you're oh, getting. Right. Right, you're getting the payback, getting to the ride. You know, the actual competition is the easy part. The way I look at it, it's getting there that's the hard part.
6: Yeah, it's, I mean, going to the ride is, is kind of like the vacation. You know? Yes, it, uh, it's
2: it's like the cherry on top of, of the Sunday.
4: Yeah, yeah e- even when uh, I don't,
6: I'm not riding the uh, the event that I'm going to or the the endurance ride. Uh, and I'm working as farrier. I work for farrier for, or as farrier for uh, a couple events here in the southeast. And even that is, you know, it's just like it's like going to our family. We're going to we're going to hang with our family for the week or the weekend, um, and that's what it's all about too. It's, you know, I've met so many great people in this organization, and and that's that's another big factor of, of why I stay in this organization. Is because there's so many great people, it is it's like a big family, and our gathering is at Fort Valley, Virginia, or um down in Ocala, Florida, where you know riding on gothie trails or um or Yellowhammer in Alabama. It's just you know we look forward to it that's that's like our vacation so
2: <laughs> mhm, since you mentioned being a farrier, give us some ideas on what. Um, the horses' feet and the conditions and stuff are like in your area all year long.
6: Well, for my area, we're pretty much um, just regular. Well, we're known for our red clay in this this area, so we can go from nasty muddy red, red clay when we get uh, uh, too much rain to hard as a rock drought conditions. But uh, um, you know, so we'll go from pretty good, moist feet, they're holding up good, and then we can go right to feet just falling and crumbling right apart, and, you know, and you're know you driving to the same nail holes, and the, the clinches are you know just wiggling the feet apart, and, and uh, so you can have some frustrating times. Of course, the humidity, I think, is a big factor, too, out here. Um, when we get in high humidity, I, I see a lot of people, well, I, I see a lot of feet uh, kind of just falling apart a little bit and uh, because in, in, in other part of the region we, we've got sand so we can go from sand to clay to mountains and so on and southeast along the coast here we've got a good very bit of condition as far as footing. Uh,
2: so the humidity i'm not real familiar with humidity except a few rides i've traveled to and done but in general at home it's really dry i'm in the high desert so how how does the humidity affect their feet exactly?
6: And I don't know. I don't understand at all really. Um, maybe the way it affects us as far as the moisture content. trap. Um, mm-hmm. you know, can possibly trap stuff in there, even when it's dry. Um, and it's just, just kind of like our systems get hard to breathe. Um, uh huh. You know, perhaps the same way with the feet. Sometimes it gets hard for them to to get to get air to them. Um, I see. I, I really do not explain that. <laughs> yeah.
2: Good. Well, the, I'm just yeah asking just because I'm kind of interested in horses' feet. Of course, you know, like most of us. Yeah. But yeah. do do you run into problems with thrush and stuff like that at a certain time of year, or does the humidity contribute maybe to having a little bit more of an issue with that kind of stuff?
6: If the spring is really wet, yeah, I'll I'll definitely see more brush issues. Um, And then if we get into a hotter, drier summer, um, even the humidity, high humidity doesn't even affect that. If it's just no rainfall, we'll still have high humidity, and heat can get as hard as a rock because uh, the ground is just sucking the moisture out of it.
2: Mm-hmm. And what do you recommend or suggest to somebody if they do have a horse that gets thrushed for treatment?
6: Definitely have your barrier clean out the best they can if, it, if you can take out uh, the uh, dirt traps as best you can. Um, or if you do them yourself, just try to take as many dirt traps out as you can. That harbor um, that... Uh, Brush and stuff in there, and then use uh, probably a good brush medication. I like um, you know, use something with the formalin, ginkgine um, violet type uh, products.
2: Okay, okay, well, that's good to know.
6: Good luck, Tim.
0: We'll talk to you again soon.
6: All right, great, great talking to you both.
0: So Karen, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the organization that these two are running for, and that's the AERC. What, what um, you know, they were talking about uh, losing members and the organization. Is it on a decrease when we come to when we come to numbers? When it comes to numbers,
2: it is. And one of the interesting things is that in 2010, we gained 622 new members. But by the third year, we lost 70% of those new members. So we have an issue with not just getting new members, but with retaining them as well.
0: I'm wondering if that's true of any organization. You try out the sport and you don't like it, or you decide it's not for you, and then you you fall off the wayside. Do you think that's true of any organization like this that involves a sport?
2: I think it is, especially in today's economy, the rising costs of fuel and just everything makes it difficult. Um, you know, it's it's uh, something that you have to really love to do. Um, you know, the endurance riders that stick with it, you know, their favorite thing in the world is just to go and ride all day, and that's what's important to them. You know, I think maybe some of the people that are joining. Haven't, you know, maybe they just aren't that dedicated, or who knows what their reasons are. That's why we need to get people on the board that want to figure out this problem and and help solve it. Because I think as many equestrians as we have in this country, Uh, that we should be growing at a greater rate and maintaining our membership and increasing it every year, whereas we've been on a kind of a downwards decline for a few years now, which is really too bad because, like this year, I just read the uh, last board of directors meeting minutes, and they are talking about how our membership revenues are down by 5% over the previous year, which lowers – the amount of money they have for their operating budget. They're not going to make enough money to cover all of their expenses. So they're going to have to cut some expenses out or do something to hopefully, you know, go ahead and increase those numbers again so that we can um, continue to grow and thrive because, uh, you know, this is a sport that um, it's a lot of fun. It's very rewarding Um, It's so exciting to get and go see new country, spend all day on your horse, make some new friends. So, you know, it's a worthwhile thing to try to keep um, the sport growing. So I'm glad that these people are out there, you know, trying to help.
0: We alluded to them earlier. You guys have some challenges that other disciplines don't have. Um, and I was just thinking about those as, as we were doing the interviews and we, you know, we discussed some of them. Time is one, it's a time consuming sport. Uh, it, it, you know, it's an, it can be an expensive sport just because you're traveling probably you're traveling further than the person who can just go to the local hunter show. You know, there's a local hunter show everywhere. Um, whereas there might not be an endurance ride of the length you're looking for everywhere. So you're going to be driving and, you're going to be camping for people like Jennifer and I. That's a deterrent. Um, you know, there are there are many deterrents. You know the type of horse that you need, but that's true of any discipline. You're going to need a specific type of horse, um, but you do have some challenges that other disciplines maybe don't run into.
2: Right. Plus, we have issues with trails in some areas. It's getting more and more expensive. The government in places where we camp on um you know forest service or BLM lands they're increasing their fees which add to the costs for ride managers to put rides on so if they don't get enough numbers to, of riders turning out to ride they can't cover their expenses and then we can um we face the reality of losing some of these rides and without them then we're back to the same scenario again where you mentioned the the time and the cost of traveling not everybody's able to do that so if we don't have rides locally just like um in my case two of the local more local rides to me in October were canceled one was a two day ride and the other was a one day ride and so that's you know three days of rides that that have been lost just in one month which you know decreases the revenue for AARC but it also makes it harder on the riders because now if we want to ride we are going to need to travel even farther
0: and you know it makes it harder on those those people that uh, I'll go come from the other side the people that were putting on those two shows had to go through all the work and effort to get it to the point where the show was ready to go only to have to cancel it because of weather um you know that's tough for them and then the next year they you know they lost out too um, you know, the next year they have to come back and do it over all over again uh, with, with mm-hmm. less revenue.
2: Uh. Right, yes, and weather can always play a big factor. You know, there's a um, lot of riders that won't go out and ride in the rain. A lot of endurance riders don't care. They're just happy to ride, and they'll go out in any kind of conditions, whether it's a blizzard, um, you know, a rainstorm, whatever I've been on you know all kinds of rides and all kinds of weather and the way I look at it is those rides really make you appreciate the ones where everything is perfect because those aren't the rides you have stories to tell about later on the ones that have the best stories and the best memories are more eventful where something happened whether it was weather or you know some different kind of adverse challenge that you encounter along the way those you know those what me are what makes endurance riders love the adventure and the challenge of doing this sport, I think.
0: Well, you know, and, well, it comes back to our quote, doesn't it? Uh, even if you finish last, you still beat everyone who didn't start, and that includes in the rain, right?
2: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> still,
0: still applies. You know, I often thought, you know, for years, I uh, the, the endurance rides that I did go to, we lived in Kentucky and stuff, everyone was raining. I always thought you guys only went out in the rain. That it was like required that it be pouring down rain for you to go out and ride. Uh, it was always seemed to be raining. I remember the test event was the worst for uh, for the endurance for a wag in in 2010. Mm-hmm. Oh, it just I mean it. We had torrential rains that day for the test event. There was mud a foot thick everywhere. It was just awful. I
2: know it, <laughs> and that's why endurance riders always know what the best gear is because they really tested it and put it to the challenge.
0: Right. It's written in every kind of weather imaginable. (laughs) Now, do you have any endurance rides that are intentionally in the snow, you know, that are winter endurance rides?
2: Not usually, but, you know, usually it's like you go to a ride in May or June and there's a freak snowstorm or something. You know, I've done rides where um, it started snowing so heavily. By the time you got up on top of the mountain, you couldn't. See where the trail was, because all you see is a whiteout ahead of you. And in some of those cases, that's where it's like magical, because I was riding, in one case, I was riding Chief, and he had done the trail before, so he knew where to go. So I just kind of uh, put my head down because the wind was blowing and it was snowing on us, and I let him take me over the mountain, and it was just um, one of the most incredible rides I've ever had, going out in that kind of a condition, whereas, you know, that's not something most of us would do on our own, but, you know, as long as we're paying money, we'll go do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I
0: get lost in the snowstorm and die, what the heck?
2: I know. Okay. Well, you know, as much as you me. put into getting there, <laughs> you, you got to go ride. you just got
0: to. Fed <laughs> by a true endurance rider. Karen, what's coming up in the upcoming events?
2: Okay, upcoming events. Uh, the 2015 AERC Convention is coming up. It's Friday, March 6th, and Saturday, March 7th. Now is the time, if you want to go, to book your flights and reserve a room. It's going to be at the Grand Sierra Resort in Reno.
0: Oh, well, you can, um, you can just drive 10 minutes and you'll be there.
2: <laughs> I know. I'm lucky that it's so close to me. Yes, Reno's only about 50 miles from me, so it makes it really convenient. Um, they're going to put more information on the convention up on the website and have it in Endurance News soon. Um, by December 1st, be, there will be some stuff up on the website with more information. I am going to be one of the speakers this year. Oh, cool.
0: What are you talking about?
2: I'm going to talk about longevity and keeping your horse going long term, which is oh, you certainly um,
0: know about that. That's one you're qualified for.
2: I hope I am. Yes, I've ridden about <laughs> you know thirty-six thousand miles, mainly on four horses. I've got four horses that are over six thousand miles each, which um, not a lot of people have done that. So um, that's you know, longevity has always been one of my goals. That's why I came up with the idea of decade team. Where you ride, you get uh, recognized for riding the same horse. It's the same horse and same rider for ten years. Wow. Which is kind of a cool thing to do. It's uh yeah. you know, it's all uh, you know, kind of about the relationship and the teamwork and
0: oh, did we lose Karen?
2: About oh, that.
0: Are you back? There okay. you are. You're back. We lost you for a minute. Okay. Yeah,
2: I didn't. I didn't go anywhere.
0: Good. Well, very good. And that's coming up. Where can people find out more about that? Is on their web on the website, right?
2: AARC dot org. Yes. And also, we've got um, a group of people on the board that have been working quite hard to put together some endurance riding clinics. And the next one coming up is November fifteenth and sixteenth, which is this coming weekend, and it's going to be at Smoke Rise um, Ranch and. South Woodstock, Vermont, and it's going to be an Endurance 101 Unmounted Clinic on Saturday and a Beyond the Basics Clinic on Sunday. And for more information on that, um, you can contact Patty Steadman. Her email address is ProCompSVC at EarthLink.net or contact the AERC office. And I'm going to just describe real quickly what the endurance clinics are. The Endurance 101 is an introductory clinic for people new to the sport. It's typically conducted in a classroom-type setting. But ideally, they have access to endurance tech and equipment, horses. Um, They do simulated veterinary checks. They check the metabolic status of the horse, which is heart rate, skin pinch, capillary refill, um, tack and back soreness and uh it's sort of a hands on type of clinic. Then the beyond the basics clinic is a PowerPoint presentation that was created by the education committee to help writers <laughs> go beyond a little bit past the you know endurance one o one basic stuff and um it's intended to keep or um, further educate riders that have done a little bit of competing and are looking to increase our level of performance in the sport. So those are all good things. Patty also had sent me a list. There's more clinics coming up. They're working on getting more. Um, they'll get them listed on the AERC website. But in January, February, and March, there's going to be more clinics. Um, hopefully they'll get them around the, the country in um, more of our regions so more people will have access to them, and it will be a great way way to draw, hopefully, some new riders in that can come and learn a little bit about endurance.
0: So if you're looking at uh, even thinking about the sport, it would be great to just stop by one of these clinics, and, and you know, by the end of the day, you're either going to be really excited or you're going to know it's not for you, but one or the other, uh it's it's a good way with you know without committing a whole lot to to show up and figure out whether it's a sport you want to give a try to.
2: Exactly, exactly.
0: And, you know, I think sometimes too we concentrate on the hundred milers, but you know more people in this country ride the twenty five milers than ever ride the hundred milers, uh, the shorter distance rides, and you know and that's something you don't need an Arab for. Mm-hmm. You can ride with uh, whatever you have. So uh, yeah, I think we just we ignore that sometimes because we end up talking to the riders who are doing the hundred milers all the time. But uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there who, and it's you know, and it's not a bad thing who ride the 25 milers and have fun doing it.
2: Right. Uh, or even some of the rides are offering introductory rides now, where they're 10 or 15 miles, and it's just a good way to get some exposure to the sport, learn learn a little bit about how things um, are, you know, done at a ride. Uh, and get a chance to meet and talk to some of the the riders that are experienced, you know a lot of times you know new people go to rides and they feel like they 're not really welcomed and I think part of that is, and we 're all guilty of it, we get to a ride and we 're so focused on taking care of our horses that we don 't always you know look up and look around and put out a little extra effort to go and maybe greet and meet and talk to some of the new people. So for the new people, if you're listening, don't feel like people are putting you off or being standoffish. They're just being, you know, focused on their horse, taking care of their horse. So really go break the ice. Don't be shy. Go up and introduce yourself. Start asking questions because most of us are very willing to help and contribute and do what we can to help. It's just that a lot of times we're just busy and we're focused on our own horse and you know that's part of what makes endurance riders so great is that we do focus so much on taking care of our horses
6: very
0: good well that's about it for today you can visit the aerc.org website for more information thank you karen what's your website for everybody
2: mine is um just my name com and it's called endurance ride stuff and um there's quite a bit of information on there. I've been blogging for a few years. So if there's anything you're interested in relating to endurance, just type it in the search box, and I'm sure something will come up.
0: <laughs> Very good. And that's how I found Karen in the first place, way, way back when we talked about doing this uh, episode every month. So that's how I found you. with through your, with through your website. Cool. Yep. You're the authority. That's what I got out of all of that. So that's why you're here. That's why Karen joins us every month, okay. because she's it. Um, and that's we're going to be back again tomorrow morning. Jamie will be back uh, here at Horses in the Morning. Uh, the rest of our shows will be coming out this week. I know Wendy and I recorded the driving radio show yesterday. We had a good time doing that. Uh, Wendy had some exciting news for everybody. You're going to want to listen to the beginning of the driving radio show. And you can find all of our shows on our app. That's the easiest way to listen. Just go to the App Store on iOS or Android and search for Horse Radio Network, and you'll find the Horses in the Morning show there, the Driving Radio show, Stable Scoop, all of them will be right on the app. It's the simplest, easiest way to listen. Or, of course, you can go to our website at com. And if if you want to catch up on some of the shows you've missed or you missed Karen doing the previous endurance episodes, just hop on over to horsesinthemorning.com, search for uh, Karen Chatton's name up in the search box, and it'll bring up all the episodes that she has done in the past. You can take a listen back. Well, you could take a listen back to episode number one of Horses in the Morning. That's 1,039 episodes wow. ago. Yeah, a whole lot of them. You can take a listen to all of those at HorsesInTheMorning.com. Thank you, everybody. We're going to end the show today honoring our veterans once again with the Armed Forces Medley. And we'll be back tomorrow morning. Be safe, everyone. Wear your helmet.
5: And join in as your song is presented. United States Coast Guard.